Well, good morning. How are y'all doing today? Look, it looks great in here, doesn't it? The lights and chandeliers and all these flowers and stuff looks good. Looks really good. Uh, before we jump into it, let me pray. Let's get pray to start off. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity that we have to come here today, Lord. Thank you so much that we have your word that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. Um, I pray that your word will be preached today, that your words will be heard today, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts um, to know who you are more. Thank you, Father, so much for you blessed this time. Amen. Um, so those of you who don't know me, I'm Joel Wilkes. I'm the youth pastor here for all the youths out there. Um, and uh, well, I have another job. I, I work at the, as a teacher at this school, and I, I ride a scooter to work. Yes, that is the appropriate response. I ride a scooter to work, and uh, uh, it's an electric scooter, and it works great when it works, you know? Like most technology, it works great when it works. It gets me to work. I wouldn't recommend it. Like, don't go buy a scooter to get you to work. But uh, it works pretty good. It struggles a little bit going up hills a little bit with me on it. So sometimes I have to, like, scoot, you know? So I scoot to work. Uh, and one morning, I was scooting to work, and I was coming across 81 uh, onto Simpson Road here, uh, and it was just the right time because there was a truck waiting to go, and I had, you know, the green light and everything. So I started to go across the street, and all of a sudden, my scooter decided not to work as it was meant to work, um, and it kicked out from underneath me, and as I was scooting, and banged my ankle really great. Uh, it hurt real bad, but there was a truck right there, so I was, you know, trying not to die, so I kept going, um, and then, you know, I think Joe can attest, he saw me that morning. My ankle was really banged up. Uh, and, and then that, so I was like gimping around. My ankle stopped working the way that it was supposed to work. And then that threw out my back. If you've ever, you know, had back pain, you know that that's not fun. Um, and the, the whole point of this is that when I was 10 years ago, this would never have happened. I would have just walked it off. I'm, I'm getting older, I guess. But... Everything in this situation wasn't working the way that it was designed to work. My scooter was just supposed to get me to work, not hit my ankle. My ankle was just supposed to walk me around, not hurt my back to throw out everything. And everything went poorly for me. Um, When things function as they're designed, things go well. When things don't function as they're designed, things run amok. Which leads me to Leviticus. Yeah, that's the appropriate response too. Um, When you're in the Advent season, right, you don't typically think, let's read through Leviticus as a family. Um, And if you're you're honest with yourself, we got New Year's coming up, a lot of you might start to, to read through the Bible in a year. And if you're reading through the Bible, you get to Genesis, and that's exciting, fun narrative. It's a story. It's got a lot of stuff going on. It's a crazy family story. And then you get to Exodus, and this is God's biggest redemptive event in Israel's history. It's also a story. It's really fun to read through. Um, there's, you know, plagues and 
Um, there's, there's God dueling with Pharaoh, and it's, it's a really exciting story. And then, and then it, Exodus ends, and you get to Leviticus. And that might be the roadblock that stops you every year going through your Bible, uh, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, but, but before we jump into the passage that we're going to look at today, I want to I give a little bit of a context surrounding Leviticus, because this is the inerrant word of God. Like God chose to include this in his book to us and how he revealed himself. So, one, we don't want to just dismiss it and throw it out. And two, there's something valuable here, right? There, there has to be. God wouldn't just give it to us for no good reason. Um, so first, it's important to know that this isn't a book's this isn't a book, the whole of the book, isn't a book without a context, right? This isn't a book that is just thrown in there for fun. It's not just a list of laws that God gave his people. Um, it was given, obviously, to Moses. Um, but Gen- Exodus ends with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. So the glory of the Lord, they've been instructed on how to build the tabernacle, what the tabernacle is supposed to look like, who's supposed to touch the tabernacle, who's not supposed to touch the tabernacle. They have all those rules on how this is supposed to look. And then the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle and the book ends. Uh, Leviticus then picks up and, and addresses this idea of how do we live with the God of the universe moved into the neighborhood? How do we, what do we look like now as a people of God with the Lord and creator and sustainer of the whole universe living with us? Uh, This this whole book is a hint of what what is to come with Jesus living with his people. Um, When the whole king of the universe moves into the neighborhood, things change. Uh, so Leviticus isn't just a bunch of laws and weird rules and ritual impurities, unpurities. Um, it is that. But it's a picture of how the people of Israel are res- to respond to God living with them, to living among them. Um, they'd be asking, how do we live with the Holy One in our midst? Secondly, this book shows us um, how the people of God were to embrace their covenant responsibility of spreading God's holy kingdom throughout all the earth. They were the chosen people of God. What does it mean to demonstrate that to the pagans around them? So this morning we're going to take a look at just one chapter. Before you go to sleep, hang with me. Just one chapter, uh, chapter 26. So go ahead and flip over there. This is chapter 26 of Leviticus. is all about the covenant blessings and the covenant curses uh, of God, for the people of God. And while I was studying through this specific chapter, it occurred to me that when things operate as they're designed to, when things work as they're designed to work, things go well. But when, when you don't operate as you're designed to operate, things go poorly. So look, look up with me in, uh, in verse, or chapter 1 of 26. <laughs> this leads me to my first point you see on your outline. Often we want to be blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. You see that all over social media. Hashtag blessed. Um, what does that look like? What does it mean to be blessed? And, and obviously we don't want to be cursed, so what does that look like? What does it mean to not be cursed? And like I said, the whole message, this whole sermon could be summarized as when we operate as we're designed to, there is blessing, and when we don't, there is curse. So to be blessed, I would contend, is to humbly follow God. 
To be blessed is to humbly follow God. Read with me. Notice how it begins in the first few two verses. You shall not make for your idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figure of stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Over and over again, this is the refrain throughout the whole book, the whole chapter here. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And if you were an Israelite reading through this, this would be reminiscent, pointing you back to Exodus, where you've been redeemed, brought out of Israel, or Egypt, brought out of Egypt, saved, rescued, and redeemed. And this is the refrain over and over and over again. I am the Lord. But how did they get that way? Flip over to Deuteronomy 7 for me. Just real quick. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Why were they chosen? Why was Israel chosen as the people of God? It was not because of anything they did. It was not because of anything they didn't do. It wasn't because they were greater than all the other nations around them. It was simply because of this, I am the Lord. It was because God chose them because he is a gracious and loving God. They didn't do anything to earn the grace of God. It wouldn't be grace then. This is all about the grace of a loving father. So humbly submitting to the will of God is tough, but it's always good. The lawgiver gives them instructions on how to live and how to behave as the people of God um, because he has already changed their identity. Catch that. That's of utmost importance. He has already changed their identity. He says, I am the Lord. I called you. I saved you. You are mine. Now live like this. My students always hear me say, the indicatives drive the imperatives. Who you are determines what you do. The people of God are the people of God already. So the list of covenant curses and the covenant blessings are not saying, God, do this and I will save you. It's, I have saved you. Now respond in this way. That distinction is key. It's all about grace. He's already given them a new identity. He's already given them a new purpose, a new goal, and this is how they accomplish it. This is how they operate as they're designed to operate. So read with me, starting in verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains and their seasons. And the land shall yield its fruit and its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing. And you shall eat your bread to full and dwell in your land securely. So the blessings, the covenant blessings, are, are representative of the covenant God, the God, God lawgiver. So he starts out and he says, if, if you obey my statutes, walk in my commands, if you do them, You'll have material wealth. You'll have material gain. I'll take care of you. You're, you're lots of good crops, lots of good food. Keep reading with me in the verse 6. 
I will give you peace in the land, and, I will, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall uh, before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall by the sword. I will turn to you and make you a fruitful and multiply you, and you will confirm my covenant with you. So he keeps going. Says there's going to be not only will you have material wealth, not only will you have an abundance of food, but you're going to have security. You're going to have safety. I'll keep you safe from wild animals, from enemies. A lot of uh, enemies will run from a few of you. If we keep going to verse 10, you shall eat of the old store long kept, and you shall keep clear out the old to make way for the new. There's going to be an abundance. I'm going to bless you so much that you're going to have to get rid of everything that you've had to make for all the things I'm going to give you. In verse 11 through 13, again, here is the refrain again. I will make my dwelling among you. This is the most important part. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so that you should not be slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke to make you walk erect. So they've been given material blessings. They've been given safety and security. They've had an abundance. And most importantly and, and, uh, and most significantly, they have God himself living with them, walking with them, dwelling with them. They have a perfect relationship with God if they obey the laws, if they obey and respond to the covenant that the way they're supposed to do, i.e., don't set up idols. What is this? This is a return to Eden. This is a return back to the garden. This is a return to paradise. This God is saying, I will establish the garden with you. I want to go back to the way things were before you broke it. When sin entered the world. When you you refuse to acknowledge the reality of the effects of humble obedience to God, you're refusing to acknowledge reality itself. Let me, let me say that again. When you refuse to acknowledge the reality of humble, the effects of the humble obedience to God, you're refusing to acknowledge reality itself. Let me, let me use an illustration to paint it a little bit. Imagine you walk to the edge of a cliff, right? You walk to the edge of a cliff, and you say, I am going to jump. Uh, on one hand, you'd be disobeying a very important rule, don't jump off cliffs, Right? Uh, on the other hand, you would be living without reference to and disregard of the law of gravity, right? You can't, you can't say to the law of gravity, law of gravity, you have no effect on me at all. You are an arbitrary law. I can do what I want. Um, there are no consequences for disobeying the law of gravity. You, you can't say that. If you do, you're, you're dismissing, you're not living in reference to the law of gravity, you have to obey it. You can't say it's unreasonable for me to have to obey this law. Because you, if you don't live in reference to the law of gravity, the result is death and disintegration. Say it another way. The solar system works perfectly because all of the planets orbit the sun. Right? If one of the planets or if all the planets decided that they wanted to do what they wanted to do and didn't operate as they were designed to operate, but started to orbit whatever they wanted to op- orbit or not orbit something that they didn't orbit or shouldn't orbit, um, the solar system would unravel and there would be nothing but death and destruction. In the same way, when we operate as we are designed to operate, 
i.e., how God made us and how God called us as Christians to live. When he calls us as Christians, we receive the blessings of God naturally or return back to Eden because that's the way he designed us to be. Sin broke that, not God. The good news of the gospel is that what sin broke and what the law points out, grace fixed. Kenneth West said, Do this and live, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word God's grace does bring, it bids me fly and gives me wings. So what? What does this mean for us today? One thing this does not mean, so don't hear me say it, this does not mean that if you obey the laws of God and you operate as you're designed to operate, that God's going to send you home with a new Mercedes right now. It's not what I'm saying. It does not mean that if you do as you're supposed to do, that God's going to give you a new home or, or fix and cure all of diseases that you'll ever infect, ever. Not what I'm saying. What I am saying, that is if you call yourself a Christian, that the blessings we have as Christians make us some of the most wealthy people in the whole world. Again, not financially. I do mean that we've been blessed with an opportunity to live in perfect relationship with the most high and holy God. That means, in the darkest of times, you can cry out to the king of the universe, Abba, Father. That means... When, when you are in the midst of overwhelming joy, you can rejoice with the giver of joy. We've been given this hope that's beyond all understanding. I heard a pastor once say uh, that for the Christian, this life is as close to hell as he'll ever be. But for the non-Christian, this, clo- this life is as close to heaven as they'll ever be. This is an amazing Amazing, incredible gift we have to respond to the grace of God that we've already been offered. So when we follow God and obey God, we flourish because we're acting as we're opera designed to be, right? Um, when we follow ourselves, things don't go well for us, which leads me to my second main point. To be cursed is to pridefully follow yourself. Now, the curses in Leviticus uh, 26 <coughs> excuse me, um, are a lot longer than the blessings which was pretty typical of the ancient world. The covenant blessings uh, were far outweighed by the covenant curses. Um, But if you look through them, you'll see that these blessings, we're not going to read all of them for the sake of time, but you'll see that these curses are, are, are God's pursuit of his people. I would contend that these curses are a gracious gift of God. Because God wants his people to have good things. He wants his people to have a perfect relationship with him. So much so that he sent his only son. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he wants to give you good things. But notice how it starts. Read with me uh, chapter 26, verse 14 and 15. But if you will not listen to me and you will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. Um, verse 15 is incredibly significant. Read it again. If you spurn my statutes and your soul abhors my rules, this is, this is, this is a big deal, right? This isn't, I messed up and sinned, sorry. This is an active rebellion against the covenant. Um, 
the language here is reminiscent of a marriage covenant, marriage, marriage relationship. Um, one author said, it's one thing for a spouse to be imperfect. It's another thing for a spouse to entirely abandon the marriage, which is what this is. This is abhorring the, the, rule, uh, abhorring the rules, spurning the statutes. This is a complete and utter abandonment of God. They're running away from, get not, they're not just, I messed up. It's an active fleeing from a relationship with God. This is of utmost importance because when you read through these things, uh, this list of really, really terrible things. The curses are not good. The curses are horrible. When you read through them, you must understand that this idea, the Israelites are choosing to call down the covenant curses upon themselves. They're, they are choosing this. They are giving into it. To abandon God, to abandon the covenant, is to embrace sin, cling to it, hold to it fast. It's to cling to the very thing that is killing you. The Israelites would be choosing to abandon their very identity to God. There was a, a woman in um, Miami. She called 911, and she said, help, help, my pet is biting me. Um, the first responders got there, they saw that her pet was a five-foot-long python that had swallowed her arm all the way up to her shoulder. And so, naturally, they started to cut it off to save this woman's life. And she cried out, no, 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 it's my pet. Don't kill it. In the same way, she was loving the very, sorry, in, she was loving the very thing that was killing her. In the same way, when you abandon the covenant with God, you embrace and hold to and cling to the very thing that is killing you. You embrace sin and you balk at the idea of killing sin. So before we jump into immediately how these, how these uh, apply to us today, you need to ask the question, what's at stake here? What's at stake here for the Israelites, these people in that the Bible was written to here? Um, this isn't a simple boo-boo, right? This isn't a simple error, a simple mistake. Uh, if you flip over with me to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, the first two verses there. Um, will shed a little bit of light. What's at stake here? Now the Lord said to Abram. This is Abram's call out of uh, the land he was in to follow God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. The Israelites were called to be a blessing to the nations around them. And in abandoning the covenant, and abandoning their relationship with God, they were choosing to actively work against God's plan to bring redemption to the world. This isn't a little thing. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests, like First Peter calls the, the nation, the Christians. We we're supposed to be a holy, royal priesthood. Their abandonment of the covenant was not just the breaking of their own relationship with God. Like I said, it was an attempt to thwart God's efforts to bring Jesus into the world. Now, of course, um, Jesus didn't and wouldn't let man's plans thwart his. Um, but these curses, they tell us a lot about the character, the nature of God. 
Because it's really easy to read through the curses and see um, God like a little kid in the sky with a magnifying glass burning ants. It's really easy to look, read these, these curses and see that he's just an arbitrary, mean God. But the reality of it is if God didn't take this seriously, if God didn't take the abandonment of the covenant seriously, he would not be a loving God. He wouldn't be loving to his Israelites. He wouldn't be loving to us. He wouldn't be loving to all peoples of all nations if he didn't take this seriously. When we pridefully try to follow ourselves, when we try to take our own way, our sin doesn't just hurt ourselves. There is no such thing as a victimless sin. Our sin doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, the ripples of our sprint, sin spread and hit others constantly. So when you're looking at things on the internet you shouldn't be looking at, when you, you tell that little lie to get ahead that nobody really knows about, um, when you do these things that nobody really knows about, they're not just affecting you. They affect everyone in your life. Like a pond with a stone thrown into it, the ripples echo. Now, while, while there are natural effects to abandoning the covenant with God, this isn't a do these things or else kind of things, or obey these laws and get terrible things. These are gracious efforts of a loving father to discipline his children. So let's read through a few of them. Verse 16. Then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic and wasting disease and fever that consumes my eyes and makes my, make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, your enemies shall eat of it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies." Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Notice in verse 18, if in spite of this you will not listen, I will discipline. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. If Then if you walk contrary to me and you will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads will be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you, and you shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send a pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered in the hand of your enemies. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Over and over and over again, God says, if you rebel, if you abandon my plan for redemption, if you abandon my covenant, everything that I've given to you I will take away. Until you come back. If you continue to turn away from my discipline, if you continue to run away from me, these are the results of your sin. Remember, the Israelites are choosing to do this. You can summarize the whole of, of the curses by saying they parallel with the blessings. Uh, from material wealth to safety and security, ultimately to, a, to, to giving over to lack of a relationship with God. All of these efforts, all of these curses are efforts of a loving father to discipline his wayward children 
to come back to him. You can hear it longingly. God longingly says, stop running from me. I love you. Come back. Stop running. Come back. Stop. Like gravity, you're falling and God stops catching you. He says, this is what you want. I'm going to give it to you. C.S. Lewis said that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. God is handing them over to their sin and saying, this is what you want. It's yours. But over and over and over again, he's giving them opportunities to come back, come back, come back. To abandon God is God handing you over to the natural results of your sin. But, but, day after day, but God, the most beautiful part of this passage isn't about who we are, but it's about who God is. Read with me, skip over to verse 40, and we'll finish with this, verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also walked contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, inside of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. This isn't about what the people do. It's about what God did. The end isn't about what we've done, but it's about what he's done. I will remember, I will remember, I will remember. I will not spurn them even though he was spurned. He ends the chapter reminding them of who he is. He's the God who called them out of slavery and redeemed them. He's the God that delivered them from their enemies and gave them the land, gave them a purpose, gave them a new identity. We're in the Advent season right now. Um, I, I would offer to you that the whole book of Leviticus is about the Advent season. Because the whole book of Leviticus is about Jesus. You see, in the New Covenant, the blessings are for those who have faith in Jesus, the one who became the curse as a result of our rebellion. With the birth of Christ, Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a high priest who has experienced all the temptations we have, yet is without sin. With the birth of Christ, the perfect sacrifice was made, freeing us from our guilt and shame of sin. With the birth of Christ, the blessings that we receive are not only a deliverance from sin, but now we have the very Spirit of God dwelling in us. With the birth of Christ, we've been ushered into a time period that the prophets longed to see. And with the birth of Christ, we have been blessed with something far more 
significant than material goods like money, food, and pleasure. We've been given the hope of something that is far greater to come. With the birth of Christ in the new covenant, we receive a new land where God himself will dwell with us, wiping every tear from our eye and banishing all manner of sin, death, guilt, mourning, crying, and pain. With the birth of Christ, the curses are no more. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might have the righteousness of God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you set in motion a plan that we can't thwart. Thank you so much that you want good things for your people, that you call us, that you redeem us, that you restore us, that it's all about you. Father, I pray that we will cling to that, that we will cling to the truth of your gospel, that this is about you, not us. Thank you so much, Father, for your work in calling us to join you. Amen. Thank you, Joel. Scoot on out of here. As we think about the Lord's Supper this morning, I I remind us just what we call it, the Lord's Supper. It's called that in Scripture. It's not the Supper of New Covenant Church. It's not 